Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and today we have a special guest, Aaron Nork. Aaron, welcome to the show. We are glad to have you on. Uh, this has kind of been several months, if not a year, in the making, but we think we've finally got this figured out to do a Zoom podcast with you, even though you are 2,000 miles away. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Ben, this is um, an episode that Really, we're going to start doing more of these with some other guests, kind of just highlighting them as outdoorsmen and, and where they live and the things that they like to do in the outdoors. But before we really get to know Aaron and talk more about this cool area that he lives in, we do need to give thanks. You know, I'm thankful for being able to connect to people. I had a really old cell phone and was starting to have problems with texting and even just calling people. And I just didn't realize until I got a brand new phone that I like being connected and be able to reach out to my friends like Aaron, friends like Brian, but also being connected on today's podcast. And we are using Zoom. It's the first time we've done Zoom and being able to to see who I'm talking to, um, be able to effectively communicate is just so important to really any aspect of life. I'm thankful that we are able to do that today because I do feel like there may be a time when our connection, being able to communicate the way we do may be um, inhibited one day well it's kind of funny that you went the technology route again we don't talk about what we're giving thanks for before we before we record and for some reason we kind of always align but i'm also thankful for technology and being connected but for a different reason we've been keeping up this week with the mlf bass tournaments and they show these guys fishing live and i'm so thankful for that it's so cool to watch we don't get to go fish for a living even though that's a dream but being able to watch them live do their thing on the water for like five six days in a row every tournament and it's it kind of gives you something to look forward to each day if you need a break from work to to hop on and see what these guys are doing fishing it's just a i don't know i love being connected and and watching them live their dream out there on the water that is a good one watching but it also leads to jealousy for me because then i want to be out there fishing with them <laughs> i want to be doing that i just watching it how about you aaron what are you thankful for oh man today i am thankful for amazing weather um we've had some fantastic weather the last really the last two three weeks um, we need a little bit of rain, which I think we're going to get this weekend, but um, we really get just fantastic springs and falls um, out here where I am. And so I'm just thankful that I get to spend time outside. It's Friday, which is one of my days off. So I'm going to be outside and then possibly tonight make a fire, which is another one of my favorite things to do and just sit around a bonfire and just uh, watch the kids play. Yeah, that's a good one. I think it's supposed to be storming and raining here, so <laughs> we're going to be out on some of those activities today. But uh, let, let's really get to know. I'm going to introduce you a little bit here, Aaron, to, to all the listeners. Uh, first and foremost, Aaron, you're a good friend to, to both Ben and I. You grew up in the same town where, where we grew up in, in Spokane, Missouri. And, and really importantly, you are, I'm going to declare it, you are the biggest Meant to Be Outdoors podcast supporter there is. I think... I'd go out on a limb and say you have listened to all 100 and is it two or three episodes now? I don't think you've missed a single one. Uh, you support us financially. You support us when uh, things are going 
not that great. When things are going great, you call us with, with words of inspiration and encouragement. You are our, our single largest supporter, and we have a lot of really good supporters. So for you to take that title is is pretty, uh, pretty outstanding. Um, but you moved away. You don't live here in the Ozarks where we live anymore. You moved all the way out to the East Coast uh, to take a job with a church out there that, that meant a lot to you. And I have never been to where you live. Ben has visited you once and showed me some pictures. It looks gorgeous out there. So really our focus today is going to be kind of that compare and contrast of what you grew up doing here in the Ozarks and what it's out, what it is like out where you live now. So kind of tell us exactly where are you? Where are you located at these days? So I work in Western Massachusetts, but we actually reside in Northern Connecticut. So central Northern Connecticut, right on the border. I'm like nine minutes from the border of Massachusetts. Um, The reason I work in Mass and live in Connecticut is when we moved out here, my only goal was to be as much in the country as I could, but still be within like a half hour drive of the church. So we found a town that fit that bill and um, God provided a place for us, which is where we've been living for over three years now. We love it. And then it also really worked out well. God always knows what he's doing because Krista works a couple days a week in West Northern West um, Connecticut. And um, it's about a 45 minute drive for her. So the house really kind of splits the difference between um, the two places we have to go every day. Yeah. That's really nice when you and your wife are able to find work, especially when you, when you move 2000 miles away, (laughs) that's really, really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It wasn't easy at first. You know, we, when we moved out here, we moved out here in March of 2020, which is literally when the world shut down. Um, I tell everybody all the time, God knew what he was doing there again, because if, if, if we hadn't, if a far move out here had been like two weeks later, to be honest, I probably wouldn't have moved when I saw how everything was going. I probably would have just stayed, stayed put where I was. That's probably a lack of faith on my part, but, um, that's probably the truth. So he got us out here. The church shut down like the next day. Of course we were just shut down for a little while, but, um, it took a little while for Krista to get her feet underneath her. It was definitely, um, those first two months were very, very challenging, um, especially for Krista because she was so isolated. She wasn't working. She didn't have a vehicle because we sold one to come out here. So she was basically, and we were living in a stranger's house, um, an older couple in the church, an older couple in the church who were snowbirds uh, graciously <laughs> let us live in their house for two months. But it was a very different um, way of living than we were used to. And so um, there were some tough moments there, but God brought us through it. And um, yeah, we love being here. How long have you been there now? We have been out here. I just started. Well, I've been out here. I'm on. I'm in my fourth year. So like three years, three and a half years. Basically. Yeah, cool. So you've you've probably I mean, you're you're a local now. You've got to to know the area and what there is to do and what to, what to stay away from. But Aaron, let's get to know you a little bit, uh, kind of as an outdoorsman, you know, outdoorsmen come in all different walks. They come from different backgrounds. They like to do different things, uh, in the outdoors. You are a little different from Ben and I, like you like to fish, but you don't get bent out of shape about it. Like, like Ben and I do. Um, you really love that recreation side, the, the hiking, the biking, the disc golf. And I want to hear more about that. So what is your favorite outdoor activity? If you could just do one, you couldn't do any for the rest of your life, except that one, what would you choose? Who that would be tough. Um, while I'm not near as an avid fisherman as the two of you, one thing that I do love so much is I just love water. All forms of water, any form of water, streams, ponds, lakes, and of course now oceans. I just love being on the water. You know, back when I lived at home, I could go out with Ben fishing 
I could sit in the boat all day, never wanted to leave. I'd put my fishing pole down many times, which would probably frustrate me. To eat snacks. Um, to eat snacks, that's right. <laughs> um, but I could just be on the water or near the water all day, every day. Um, if I could live on the water, I, I would. Um, so I love the water. I also love, I do love hiking. I love the backcountry a lot. And while I don't get to do it near as much as I would like, um, living out here does provide some really cool, unique opportunities, which I know we'll get into a little bit later when it comes to hiking. And then something else I love doing, and again, I don't do it as often as I would like, but I've been doing it more recently, is I love cooking outside over an open fire. I love mm. cooking in general, smoking meats, barbecue, and I really enjoy um, kind of that primitive style of finding unique ways to cook good food outside. Yeah, well, that's awesome. That That's fun. We've highlighted a, a few of those on our social media, and we were actually spending some time yesterday planning on uh, showing some more of those kind of outdoor cooking, primitive recipes and things that people can do. Well, what is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to, and why was it your favorite? Okay, so I have a couple, um, and I'll go through them fast, but most most of the places that are on my list are based around memories um, and who I was with. So mm. one off the top of my head is the Smoky Mountains. Um, when my oldest daughter, when we just had her, when she was a, almost a year old, my wife and I took our like first family vacation to Gatlinburg and really enjoyed the Smoky Mountains. Loved our time there. Krista talks about it often. We would love to go back. Um, Papua New Guinea, when I was 12 years old, I got the opportunity to go with my mother to the island of New Guinea. Uh, my grandparents were pioneer missionaries there. So that was a really, really um, cool experience. Kauai, Hawaii, that's where my wife and I went on our honeymoon. That was a blast, beautiful, got to see some really cool stuff there. Um, and then two others are Gorham, New Hampshire, one of the coolest, most beautiful places I think there is, there is in the country. And then second, and then the other one is Jasper, Arkansas, another place that I think is amazing, beautiful. I've got some really cool memories there with friends playing disc golf camping and doing some great hiking in the buffalo national forest so um i, I love all those areas the uh, that's quite the eclectic group there from papua new guinea to to jasper arkansas if you had to pick one of those places uh to return to if you got to go there this weekend where would you go um probably gorham new hampshire if i was really? picking one right wow. now i i i know while I, I have a desire someday, it's a dream to get my family over to New Guinea to visit some of the structures that my grandfather built. If I was really picking one right now, which is very attainable, and maybe that's partly why I'm picking it, um, it, it would be Gorm, New Hampshire for sure. Ben, have you been there? No, never. I'm, I'm interested to hear why Aaron loves this place so much. Yeah, let's hear more about Gorm, New Hampshire. Why is it so special to you? Or what, is it the the sites is it the outdoors is it the shops the restaurants what makes gorham new hampshire because i've never even heard of it till this moment right now so it's a little bit of everything gorham new hampshire is a very very small town it's probably 10 minutes from the base of mount washington uh, mount washington is the highest peak in i don't i don't think not america but definitely on the east coast it's about 6800 feet um, it's part of the White Mountains, um, which are primarily in New Hampshire. Um, and I got to go there for the first time two years ago with another good friend of mine, um, Stephen Tay, to go hiking, to attempt to um, hike a 4,000-footer. A 4, and while on that trip, I did not succeed in that piece of the trip, um, 
the rest of the trip was just so amazing that the, the little town of Gorham is beautiful. You just you're surrounded by true mountains everywhere. We did eat at a really good restaurant. I love to eat. So I always think about good food. Um, <laughs> but 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 that was my first experience getting really, really way up in the northeast. Um, and the topography really changes even from where we are here up there. And um, something about the trip was just a blast. We camped. We got to spend good time together. We got to commune with God. And like I said, that was my first experience in the white. So it was just kind of a collective, a collectiveness of all those things. Why I enjoyed it so much. How far is that from you? So to get up into the whites up in New Hampshire, it's going to be roughly three and a half, four hours, just straight North of us. Um, you can get into the mountains a little bit closer than that, but to really get up into that Mount Washington area where you're probably about 45 minutes from the Canadian border, it's about a, it's about a three and a half hour, four hour shot straight up. Wow. I don't guess I realized you were that close to Canada. So it'd be like us driving to, to Kansas city or St. Louis or something from, from where we're at. Yep. Okay. So yeah, that's, that's totally feasible for a weekend, even a day, if you really wanted to make a long day out of mm -hmm. something. Cool. So with where you're living now, should this be an area that's a destination for outdoor enthusiasts or is it, and I just don't know about it yet. So it should be, and it is. Um, I do I do think it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier. You know, when when somebody thinks like from the Midwest, if you say New England, you know, somebody's going to New England or lives in New England, a lot of times I feel like people think about they think about Boston. Yeah, immediately. They think they think, they think about Cape Cod, um, which is fantastic. I went there for the first time uh this last month. Um they think about some of these kind of classic larger areas, but oftentimes um, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Connecticut, Rhode Island, they get, they get overlooked a little bit. Um, but we have some amazing outdoor activities here and really that encompass the entire year. Um, I was just thinking through a few of them earlier, you know, of course, again, I'm going to keep mentioning them, but we have the white mountains. We have 48, 4,000 foot peaks in the white mountains. And then there's another 11 4,000 foot peaks in the Green Mountains, which are primarily located in Maine and Vermont. So, I mean, the hiking out here is world class. Um, you also have um, National Acadia Park up in Maine, up in Bar Harbor. Um, I've been there once. Krista's been twice because she loved it so much. I mean, it's I think this in 2022, uh, Acadia was the fifth most visited national park in America. So they get like something like three, four million visitors a year. There are wow. some amazing sites up there. It's it's beautiful. Maine is probably Krista's favorite state out here. She really, really loves Maine. It, it really is beautiful. Um, and then you think about wintertime. We've got what a lot of people will say some of the best skiing in America. You know, a lot of times people think of skiing. They think Colorado on the Sierras. But we've got some really world-class skiing, um, skiing areas out here. And while I have not yet to take um, part in that, I have plans to do that this next year. So I'm super excited about that. And then just some other things, you know, we've got some really good uh, trout fishing, stream trout fishing. Um, we have uh, Cape Cod, of course, which is a really cool destination area. We have some world-class disc golf out here. Um, one of the premier national tournaments is held up in Vermont every year. Actually, Stephen, our, our mutual friend, he's caddied for a professional up there a couple times. Wow. Um, he does he does a lot of disc golfing. And then, of course, you have you have the base or what some people would say the end of the Appalachia Trail up in Maine. I think the town is Catadin, Maine. So you get you can you can, you know, I think I don't know how many miles it is, maybe three, four hundred miles of the um 
of the uh, sorry of the Appalachia Trail goes through New England. So there's just some really cool, unique things you can do here. And what's neat is there's something to do all year round: fall, spring, summer, and winter. Aaron, I want to I want to add in there that uh, you and I definitely are trying to to do some more up there. And we've talked about putting together a little trip here in the winter um, to do some dog sledding and some snowmobile because those are activities that. I don't get to do. I've never done. And, and the amount of snowfall here in Missouri is like dinky. <laughs> it just, you can go sledding a little bit, but that's about it. So really looking forward to, to trying some of those new activities because you said you guys have snow. Um, so please don't let me down. Okay. <laughs> let, let, let's, I just hope that this year is like the first year that you don't have that much snow. So that's the goal. That's the plan. And I can't wait. Yeah, I'm hoping for that as well. And and a couple of those activities that you mentioned, we've actually not done yet. We've not really gone up north in the winter yet. So, you know, to 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 get a snowmobile up in the White Mountains, to get to go dog sledding um, up in uh, Lincoln, New Hampshire, they got this whole town that almost turns into like an ice, an ice village. Um, some really cool winter activities that I'm definitely excited to, to check out for sure. Well, before you guys go skiing, you might want to check in with our buddy, Tony, before you make that decision. So actually, I was going to talk to Ben about this, but one of the things I'm thinking about trying this next year when they come out, instead of um, traditional skiing, something that's gotten pretty popular is what they call, I, I forget the actual name, but basically you ski down the hill on a bicycle that has skis on it. No way. And it looks really, really, really cool. And it also looks like it's not going to take near as much um, practice in terms of, I mean, they do all sorts of crazy tricks, but I think it's kind of one of those things. I think it's called ski biking or snow biking but you just get on their skis on the front and back and it's kind of like a like a three-wheeled a three-ski bike and it looks amazing you can rent them now so i'm hoping we can um up where we're going um that the the, the area where we'll be doing some skiing i hope that they offer that because i think it'd be a blast yeah and i think uh maybe stay away from the jumps if there's jumps correct yeah i think the jumping part is probably what gets people in their knees but this bike do you get to pedal I've never heard anything like it. So are you pedaling or you're literally just sitting on it with some skis? That's it right there. There's no pedaling. I mean, I was watching some videos the other day on, and trying to trying to see kind of how it works. But basically, it maneuver with it. And there's certain certain maneuvers you have to do to get it to stop, to get it to go left, to get it to go right. But basically, it's like one ski in the front where the tire would be and then two skis in the back and then a seat. And then you can kind of stand or sit. But a lot of them stand because they're just you know, working their way down the mountain and I've never done it. So, um, but it really does look cool. So here in the Ozarks, what we would do is we would take a car hood. <laughs> so maybe that's their version of the car hood. Cause we would take the car hood, hook it up behind the truck. And then you would just do your donuts and, and pull people, you know, like a sled, but that's interesting. Well, hopefully you'll get us hooked up. We can check something like that out. Hey Ben, I got a question for you. You have been out. It was in the summer. I think you went and visited Aaron before, what did you guys do outdoor wise when you went out for that trip? You know, we got to go play disc golf, which that is what I was wanting to go do with Aaron. Um, we used to play that together a lot here in the Ozarks. And so to be able to go up north, um, you know, just the terrain itself, so different than where we're from. So from the trees to really just the topography and the layout of some of these courses, um, different. It was awesome and amazing, but also the wildlife. You know, when I was up there visiting Aaron, it's not the first time that I've seen a black bear, but it was the first time that like I've seen a black bear where people didn't 
like freak out where it was just like a normal thing. I mean, this thing just ran across the road and everyone slowed down. And as soon as it got to the other side of the road, everybody kept on like it was, you know, a squirrel crossing the road or a rabbit. Whereas here in the Ozarks, we just don't have a lot of that. So, um, very different. Yeah. Very different from, from here. Aaron, what is the big, biggest difference? Like where you're at now in the Ozarks, where you grew up, what's the biggest difference outdoors? So, there's definitely a few differences. Um, one of the differences when it comes to like summertime is, you know, I always remember back home and I think it's still similar, you know, we'd have pretty good springs in terms of like precipitation, but then once June, July hits, it gets pretty, pretty dry. The, the things that were green in April and May aren't near as green in June, July and August back home. Um, we are very green and luscious out here the whole year. We get a lot of precipitation all year long. And so as green as it looks now, it typically still looks that green in July and August. Um, something else that's great about the summers out here is it never gets quite as hot as it does as it does back home and we don't have the humidity. So even in July and August, when it's getting pretty hot during the day, when that sun goes down, it's pretty nice to still be outside and you don't go outside and just get drenched. Um, I've really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then another real big difference between back home in here too are one is we get really good seasons out here and we do get the seasons back in the Midwest. But I just remember all the time feeling like, man, like spring would last for like three and a half minutes. Fall would last <laughs> for like seven minutes and then you'd have summer and winter. And then we'd have the cold without any of the fun stuff with the cold. Um, our springs and falls out here. I mean, the fall time is what new England's known for people drive from all over the world really to come leaf peeping in the fall are, I mean, up in Vermont, um, New Hampshire, parts of New York, northern Connecticut, Massachusetts. It looks like the trees are on fire, depending on what kind of summer you've had. Um, it, you, you can't beat – the falls out here are so amazing. And there's a lot of unique, like, little farms, apple picking. Um, you can just be driving. You can spend a whole day just within a 50-minute, you know, a 50-mile drive checking out 10, 12, 15 little, little unique farms that have different varieties of things. And then one of the coolest parts that we talk about all the time is the, topog the topography. So all the states out here are so small and you can get to all the different states so quickly and all the states are so different. So one Saturday we're going to head down south and we're going to go be, be on the ocean in Rhode Island. Um, the next day we're going to go over to Maine or we're going to go over to Massachusetts and be in the Berkshire Mountains or maybe go hit Boston, a two-hour drive if we want to go check out the city. And then the next day we can be two, two and a half hours north and we're up in the White Mountains. So, you know, an hour and a half any direction, you're in a different state with different activities, different landscape, different different topography. And that's very unique out here because back home, sometimes it feels like you can drive, you know, two hours any direction and it feels and it looks the same. You know, that's something else that uh, we got to do when, when myself and family went up to visit you. Uh, you took us to... Taylor Swift's backyard <laughs> mm -hmm. and we got to swim. Um, can you explain that a little bit where we went, what we did? Um, Cause I had a blast. Uh, you actually own a paddleboard. So I was able to use some of your equipment, but share with us uh, where we went and, and what we did that day. Cause that was, that's was so different than, than here in the Ozarks. So one of our, the girls and including myself, we love, we love the beach. And while the beaches out here are not like they are down in the Gulf or in Florida, the water is, is pretty cold even in the summer. It's very sw swimmable and very manageable. So when it's the weekend, 
usually every Friday or Saturday, we try to hit the beach and we found a beach down in Rhode Island that we just love. It's a beautiful area, um, a really nice area. It's in a town called Westerly, Rhode Island. And within the town of Westerly, Rhode Island is like a mini town called Watch Hill, which is where a lot of there's a lot of very wealthy people that own homes there. I don't think most of these homes are lived in year round. Um, and a few famous people own homes there. And one of them is Taylor Swift. She owns like a $40 million compound um, there in Watch Hill. And the beach that we like to go to, you just turn to your left and and it's basically it's, it's you know, Taylor Swift's summer house. Um, she has guards out there 24 seven. There's always guards when we drive by. I've never seen her. Not that I care to see her, but um, it is a beautiful house. So you're that creeper I heard about that they had to that's it. pull off the fence. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that's, or was that's that been? <laughs> uh, so how far is that from you? Like how far are you driving to get to this beach? Hour 15. Oh man. So you got mountains in one direction and ocean almost the same. Gosh, that sounds like an awesome place. It is. And, and there's even things we haven't explored yet. You know, I haven't hit the, the cat skills and I haven't hit some of the beautiful parts of um, upstate New York. And even though upstate New York, you know, New York's not part of New England, I can be in New York in, in you know, 35 minutes and then be in upstate New York in an hour and a half. And there's some beautiful, beautiful country in upstate New York, actually very similar to Arkansas and no Northwest Arkansas in terms of landscape. So there's just there's no shortage of things to do, especially for somebody who loves the outdoors. Now, Aaron, I want to say that there was an animal that I wanted to see. Um, you had talked about this animal and, you know, here in the Ozarks coyote, that's kind of, we don't really have to worry about the OD. However, you know, if there's two or three that come, they can, they can definitely harm our dogs, eat our chickens. But, you were telling me about an animal that the locals were like, oh, you have to be, you have to be careful of this, of this creature. Can you tell us what, what the scary animal is that, uh, that you guys have and, and why you're, why you need to watch out for it? Yes. You are referring to the Fisher cat. Yes. So when we had moved out here, out to this um, farm we're on here in Connecticut, like the first night I was here, I was walking down the driveway. I think I was spraying for uh, spraying for weeds on the on the asphalt. And there was a older couple walking down the road and I said, hey, how's it going? And they said, oh, great. I said, well, we just moved in here. And and the first thing the lady says, she goes, OK, she goes, well, make sure you watch out for the Fisher cats because those things will eat your face off. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, have a great night. So I go back into the house and um. I say, hey, Krista, this lady just said we need to watch out for Fisher cats because they're going to eat our faces off. And um, so we did a little bit of research on them. And uh, um, sure enough, they are a pretty aggressive um, wild animal. Now, I will say this. I've only seen one and it wasn't up. It wasn't up close, but we hear them quite a bit in the summer. And the way you know it's a Fisher cat is because it sounds like a kid is either screaming or getting murdered in the woods. And it's creepy. Um, but that's when you know there's a Fisher cat in here because it is a terribly, terribly freaky sound. You know, when you've told me that in the past, and, and it's funny every time I hear it because, you know, like I said, we have the coyote, we have foxes, we have bobcat once in a while, a mountain lion, but I've just never heard of that. And it's, it kind of, it reminds me of like a chupacabra, like it's this mythical, like, but yeah, it is real. And, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully one you thing we love. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to get a picture up close. Um, you know, like you were mentioning bears earlier. Um, we've definitely gotten used, used to that. Um, 
just this last October, we had uh, set up some pumpkins outside for some decoration. And my oldest daughter, Isabel, and I were driving home from church. It was like nine o'clock and we're pulling down the driveway and just sitting underneath our bay window where we have some pumpkins was this monstrous. It looked like a mama bear just sitting there, just eating our pumpkins. And I kind of looked up and I'm like, oh, there's a bear sitting there eating. I mean, you, you could have reached out and touched it from inside the house. And we have a lot of wildlife here. We really do. Um, where we live, we back up to some land called the McLean Game Refuge. It's uh, quite a few thousand um, acres of protected wildlife land out here. And we have a lot of wildlife. It's not uncommon. We see foxes and deer and, you know, bear, um, all sorts of different animals pretty, pretty continuously out here just in our yard, which is a lot of fun. I, I got to add my two cents in as a biologist on the Fisher cats. So they're not cats. Got? They're not cats and they don't eat fish. So I don't understand their name at all, but they're actually like a giant weasel. They're in the weasel family. They're, they're, uh, but they do sound, it's a similar sound to like, uh, here. If you hear a bobcat screaming, people say it sounds like a young woman being attacked or something and they make that similar sound. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they're, they're actually a weasel. And I think it's funny that they call them fisher cats there because I've only ever heard them referred to as a fisher. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. A fisher cat thing, okay, is actually a slang. While I've got you, while I've got Mr. Biologist here, something that I've noticed out here and I just saw one the other day that I never saw back home are black squirrels. I'm talking black as sin. There isn't a speck of white or gray. They are just black and they're big. Yeah. Yeah, we there. So the I went to Southwest Baptist University for my first year of college, and we had black squirrels on campus. They were running all over the place. So it's really just genetic. They produce more melanin than other squirrels, and once they start to spread that through a community of squirrels, then you're going to have a bunch of black squirrels. Okay, cool. Aaron, it's definitely different where you live. I can see you're talking about the you're in a flannel shirt right now. It's beautiful and green. You're out, actually outside recording this, which is awesome. If we were outside right now, we'd be sweating because the humidity is like 95% today, and I would definitely not be wearing flannel. You're not sweating. You look comfortable. So the climate looks definitely different. But what is the best thing about the outdoors where you live? If you could just pick one, single something out that's the best thing about where you're at. If I'm picking just one, I, of course I have a list of many. I can't just, I, I, I never like to just say one, but if you're, if you're making me stick to one, stick I'm going to one. stick with what I meant. I'm going to stick with what I mentioned earlier, which is the uniqueness of the different topographies where you can be in a different sort of real outdoor type of environment within an hour and a half drive, any direction. So what stinks about where you live? What's the worst thing? <sighs> so I, I'm going to, it's going to be regulation fisher cats yes fisher cats <laughs> um i'm gonna have to go with just regulation overall um obviously new england landscape is different than the midwest but it's also very different um politically than the midwest um that was a big shift for myself who is you know i know this isn't a political podcast um but i'm pretty relatively conservative in my in my politics and new england is just not um, not even close. We're probably, you know, next to, you know, the state of Oregon or Washington, we're the most, you know, liberal, um, area in the country. Um, and it shows in regulation out here. Um, you know, something I was thinking about earlier is, is how different like gun laws are, for example. Um, you know, back home, 
walk in a Bass Pro, right? For, you know, whether whether someone thinks you should be able to or not, you pass your quick check, you, you walk out with your gun, you got a couple acres in your backyard, backyard. If you're safe, you set up the plate, you plink around all day. Um, not the case here. Um, I'm still going through the process. And, and part of it is I just, I just waited. I took too long, but I had to take a couple classes. And then the way you're able to be gun legal in Connecticut is, or anywhere in New England, you have to take your, all your certifications to the sheriff. And then the sheriff gets to decide if you're allowed to basically purchase and own guns out here. Um, they get to make that determination. Now, lawfully they're not supposed to not let you um if, if everything is okay but there are there are areas out here especially in some of the larger cities where if somebody wants to you know wants to own a gun sometimes the sheriff's offices will sit on them for two three years just just not signing them just because they don't want to mm. um so that's something that's a little bit different the other thing is um fishing out here is quite a bit different while i know there are some good fishing lakes they're not close to us and fishing is more challenging in terms of um i think about back home how amazing it is you know you can drive 45 minutes multiple directions and be on a multitude of different pretty good lakes for fishing um and you're you know that because in the summertime you're driving down 160 or 65 you're going to see you know 150 bass boats um we don't see those out here i mean Seeing a bass, but I hear it's kind of like seeing a unicorn. You just don't see them that often because most of the time people, you know, the fishing they're doing out here is they're getting down on the ocean and it's different. So we don't have the type of fishing that we have as back home. And I miss that because I can't just go take my girls fishing. It's not the same. Um, well, I've gotten to Aaron, do some really good. And that's what I want you to share. You know, uh, that is something else I'm thankful for that Brian and I, like if we wanted to go bass fishing, we could hook up to the boat. We could pull it to the lake, slap on the lake and, and go fishing. Like there's not a lot of barriers to do that, but you've been telling me that you've been out with, um, awesome. Some friends that you've made out there, they've taken you out fishing. Um, but without them, you wouldn't have been able to go. How come, what is it that keeps you from being able to fish some of these lakes that are out there? So the one I'm thinking of primarily that I've gotten to fish, which is beautiful is called Quabbin Reservoir. Um, Quabbin Reservoir is the prime, it, basically that reservoir feeds, feeds water to half of the state of Massachusetts, primarily into Boston. And so partly because of that, I understand why they have some of the regulations they have. One of the big ones is if you put a boat, first of all, if you have a boat on Quabbin, it can only have like a, like a 35 horse on it. And it's not a huge, it's not like a huge lake, like Table Rock. So you couldn't go flying at 75 miles per hour, um, but one of the big one of the big regulations there is whatever boat goes on Quabbin can't go on any other body of water unless it's been cleaned specially. And that's primarily because of the zebra mussels. Um, they're trying to keep the zebra mussels out of the out of the, the piping, I guess, that they're that the that the water is going into into all these other areas. Um, and so the way it works there is when you show up to go fishing, they have a ranger there and they have a basically a piece of like metal metal twine that is connected from the boat to the front of the trailer and they have to actually the ranger unhooks that and that's supposed to show that that boat's not been anywhere else other than quabbin and then they unhook it you can go in do your fishing and then they reattach it as you're leaving that day um but quabbin is beautiful basically back in the 1920s they flooded three small towns to, to, to make the reservoir. So there's areas where you can see old foundations. It's really clear. Um, and I've gotten to catch some great, some great small mouth, some large mouth. Um, there's some good trout fishing in there. Um, some lake trout. I've not done that, but I've also caught quite a few pickerel. 
um, which they we don't keep those here. Um, they kind of call them trash fish, but um, they're beautiful and they're fun to catch. We ate a pickerel for the first time uh, last year, didn't we, Ben? Yeah, we did. It's super bony, <laughs> very very bony. Yeah, it, it was uh, not that good. <laughs> so that's really the primary things. Is you know, if you're not native to New England, some of those activities like hunting and fishing are a little bit just more. There's a few more hurdles you have to get through. Um, there's not near as much public access land to go hunting. So if I just wanted to say, well, I don't own acreage, but I just want to go to Busick or Mark Twain and go hunting as long as I know the, 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 the local regulations, um, I can do that. Out here, we don't have near as much of that. The protected land out here, they don't typically let you hunt hmm. as often. Hmm. So can you hunt on Sundays? You're the one who told me that I don't think you can, and I actually didn't know that until today. Right. Yeah. There are, there are areas, um, there are states that don't allow hunting on Sundays. Um, you know, some of that I think goes back to, oh, I think they call it blue laws, but, um, the joke was, is like, it keeps people from going to church. <laughs> so, so they're going to not allow it on Sundays. So they get more people in the church. You work for the church. That's why I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> do you see more people going to church since, uh, hunting's not, <laughs> I can, I can assure you that that's not the case out here anymore. <laughs> um, the, the, what what there, there's something keeping people from going to church on Sundays and it's it, it, well it may be hunting but it's I don't think it is yeah and another reason I thought it was actually a it's I don't know if I would like it here where I live but it allowed for more people to go outdoors on Sundays and not have to worry about uh, the hunting laws so they were talking about with outdoor recreation mm-hmm. um, there is no hunting on Sundays and so if you're wanting to go out and enjoy you know the outdoors with your family on a Sunday you wouldn't have to worry about uh, someone with a firearm basically so. Anyway, you know, and, and I will say, you know, this kind of this kind of falls falls in what you're talking about there. But, you know, one thing that is cool about New England is they really do pride themselves in, in, in being um, outdoorsy, if you will, if I can use that word. Um, you know, we have a lot of amazing, well-groomed trails out here. Um, they, they really make an effort to to make the outdoors accessible and attainable. And you do notice out here. A lot of people take advantage of the outdoors. You're always seeing people hiking, biking, um, trout fishing. If you're on the Farmington, on the Farmington near our house, it seems like out here, everybody really does like to take advantage of the outdoors. So because of you moving out there and kind of opening our eyes, you've kind of taught us that it is, there's amazing hiking opportunities. You've shared that here on the podcast today. Why do you think somebody like Ben and I, who love the outdoors, why why is it kind of under the radar for us? Why have we never really heard about it before? Are we are we stupid? You know what that that's such a good question. I'm I'm not sure it flies under the radar as much as we might think. You know, when I think about the White Mountains and the Appalachian the Appalachian Trail, I mean, people travel all over the world to come and to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, they come from all over the world to hit the Whites. Um, while the whites are not by any stretch the highest mountains you can climb, they are well known for being some of the most challenging hiking mm. in the nation and even across the world um, for a variety of reasons. Part of it is the um, the ever-changing weather that you get in the White Mountains. Um, weather can change on a dime. They're constantly having to rescue people up in the whites. Um, another big reason is there's not a lot of switchbacks. Really, there's no switchbacks in the White Mountains. And so if you think about, you know, Colorado and you're, you're hiking a 14,000 footer, you're going to be constantly switching back and forth. And, and part of that is mental. It helps it to not feel as bad. And part of it is 
simply it's not as hard. You're, 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 you're perusing up the mountain at much lesser grades of elevation. Um, the whites are straight up and they break your spirit. You think you're there and you look up and you want to cry. And I've done it. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm not going to make it. And the, 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 the scrambling when you get to the top thousand feet of some of the whites, it's, you don't need ropes, but you are, um, right there on the cusp of needing, needing some equipment and it, it can get, it can get treacherous and it can really break your will very easily. Um, but I think, like I said, in the Midwest, I just think new England is tucked away out here so far in its own world. It feels like its own world. It's very kind of small and unassuming in a lot of ways. And I just think people, when they think hiking that their first thought is Colorado, you know, heading West. And I just don't think people think as much about what the East coast and particularly the Northeast offer. Yeah. Is there anything there that's like, it's like a regional pastime. Like, like here we have sucker grabbing. Is there anything there for you that you've heard about or done or want to do? That's just kind of really just right there for, for we'll call it the natives. Um, so I was trying to think through that. Um, in terms of like really regional to me, I think the most unique thing, and I don't know if you would consider this necessarily like categorized as an outdoor activity, but localized farms are so unique to our area. And what I mean by that is it could be somebody that literally only has three acres um, and they will literally categorize it a farm and you can come and you can, they, they may, they may raise fruit or vegetables or have small goats, or they may raise garlic or onions. And I mean, within a 20 minute drive of my house, I could take you to 30 different farms that are all going to have a variety of different things. Some are larger, some are smaller. Um, but that's very unique to new England is just everybody here. Basically, it feels like if they have acreage, they turn it into some form of a farm that people will, will go on. You know, one down the road is like a, a flower farm and they just raise beautiful flowers in the spring and summer. You can go and pick them and pay for them. Um, stretching a little bit further out, um, sailing is really popular. I hear um, I've seen sailing clubs, you know, even on some of the lakes around here, you'll see them like basically doing sailing lessons. I think that's really cool. And that's definitely something that I would love to do someday because I love the water and I love boats. Um, not so much necessarily unique, because I know people do this all over the country, but road biking is really popular here. Um, if we're sitting out here on, on a Thursday evening, we're going to see 200-plus road bikers going down our road every single night. Wow. And they're in groups of 30, 40, 50. Um, I used to road bike a lot, so I've been jealous. I would love to join up with one of them. I mean, I'd have to lose some weight um, now, but... Um, they're just road road biking clubs everywhere out here. And then, of course, we do have some really good trout fishing, um, some fly fishing here. The Farmington River is, is pretty well known for some really good world-class um, fly fishing. Well, my next question you've pretty well answered with all this, and I think I need to answer this next question. And the question is, would you recommend consider that people consider traveling to your area for a vacation if they love the outdoors? <laughs> I'm going to answer it because just hearing everything that you're sharing – I want to go. I, I need to come out there. I need to go fly fishing. I need to go up in the mountains. I need to play some disc golf. I need to come out and see what you've got going on. Prior to living here, I don't know if I would have ever thought I'm going to go vacation in New England um, ever. Um, but I'll tell you, um, if you had a week and you could come and pick a pick pick like a central location you couldn't you couldn't get everything in i mean there's just so 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 much to do so much to see um 
I think personally, it's a fantastic place to vacation. And even someday when we more than likely move back home to the Midwest, um, I'd absolutely continue to vacation. There's still many things out here that I haven't gotten to do that I would like to do. Well, Aaron, you, you kind of a little bit answered it there, but I still want to ask, like, you talk about wanting to come home, which which is those Ozark, Southern Missouri, Northern Arkansas. And growing up here, I'll say it, it is hard for me to ever picture just being away from here for my whole life because it is an awesome part of the country, awesome place, awesome place to live and so thankful that we were all raised here together. But would you, if you move away, would you ever go back and visit just to participate in some of the outdoor offerings that are in New England? I definitely would. Of course, you know, it, it, it's, it's so funny now, you know, I think just last year was the first year where I've, where I've started like considering myself like a New Englander. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God, God's placed us here for this season and we will be here as long as we feel like we're supposed to be. You know, we do have a desire to come home someday just because Missouri's home, family's there, and I, it'll always have a special place in my heart. There's, there's, there's I think, other things um, as I get older, I would like to do um, in the Midwest in terms of vocation and, and, and jobs. But um, we, 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 we've really settled into some really cool um, family, I guess you could call them traditions. Now, one that we never did back home is cut down a Christmas tree. Mm. So for the last three years, the day after Thanksgiving, we, we go to a beautiful Christmas tree farm where they have um, horse carriages and all sorts of different fun activities. And we go out there, we pick a tree, we literally cut it down strap it on top of the car, bring it home. Um, that's become a really cool tradition that, that, that I'll miss when we come back home. Not that we couldn't do it there. Um, but here you have a pick of probably about 150 tree farms, you know, within a two hour drive that you could go check out. Um, but one thing I have a strong desire to do someday and I would come back to do would be, um, there is a stretch of the Appalachian Trail that's known as the 100-mile wilderness. It's considered about the most treacherous portion of the Appalachian Trail. And one of those reasons is because when you start this portion, there's really there's no access to get supplies to in and out for any stretch of this. So you basically have to go like five, six days of truly being able to make it from this end to the other. Um, Stephen, as I mentioned earlier, who's a very avid and skilled um hiker um and outdoorsman when it comes to the whites um has mentioned it before and he would really like to do this portion as well so that's something i would love to do someday um and it'd be hard to not want to come back and visit the ocean you know what we fall in love with the ocean it's not a lake it's very different and lakes are lakes and ponds are always going to be near and dear to me um but we have fallen fallen in love with um the ocean and just sometimes just sitting back and just staring at that water that, that never stops. And just, you know, thinking about God's goodness and, and, and God's creation. It, it's one of my favorite things to do. You know, Aaron, uh, is, is there anything else that, that you want to share, uh, about leaving the Ozarks and, and living in new England, uh, for all the listeners, we have a lot of listeners here in the Ozarks, but we, I mean, there's people in other countries that listen. Is there any last things that you'd really like to share ab- about that move and, and your, your former home and your home now? Um, I think what this move has done for me, you know, other than small little periods, I've, I literally lived in, you know, Southwest Missouri my entire life for, you know, 34 years. And I never felt like I had a desire or wanted to leave. Um, but we really felt like God places on our heart to come out here. And, um, I think what this move has taught me is two things. One is 
if God calls you to do something, if you feel if you feel that prompting, then you should do it no matter no matter where it is. And um, while God has blessed us tremendously out here in a, in a, in a multitude of ways, um, you know, we didn't move out here to explore the outdoors. I'm very thankful and appreciative of God's goodness that we get to do all these fun, fantastic things. But, you know, we came out here, you know, to do ministry. And I do believe God works that way. And I don't believe God, you know, God is going to take you somewhere and, and and make it miserable for you. So we've been thankful that we've been able to make this feel like home. But I think the second thing really for me is this is a big world. And even just thinking, you know, even just the United States, um, you know, when I tell people out here about the Midwest and Northwest Arkansas, when I tell people out here that some of my favorite places to be, like I say, Jasper, Arkansas, where I think is some of the most beautiful country that that God's given us, people just kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? And they just, they have to experience it. So I think it's been really cool to live here to realize, man, God's made some really cool creation and he's made it so unique. And while there are many similarities between new England and Missouri and Missouri and California. There's also a lot of vast differences. And I think it's given me more of a desire to just want to be able to have the opportunity to explore more of God's creation, because there's so many cool things out there um, that I've not gotten to experience. And while I'll always have home and home will always be home, um, I don't want to forget that God created a bit, a big world. And I think there's some really cool things out there that, um, I would love to see someday. I've got one last question for you here in the middle of the United States, ticks and mosquitoes become awful, <laughs> especially in like August. What are the insects like up there? And is that something that you, do you have to battle that? Um, because that does keep a lot of people from really enjoying the wilderness. The outdoors is because of mosquitoes and ticks and, and just bugs. Um, if I was to go to New England, take my family, is that something that I need to prepare for and worry about, um, for yeah, going outdoors and, and, uh, spending time there. So while we do have all the same insects we have back home, ticks, mosquitoes, gnats um not near to the level um i think a lot of it is due to the fact that we have such harsher winters here brian would probably be able to answer that and say if there's any science behind that at all but um we have sometimes snow on the ground even where i am for four you know for four months straight um and i think that really drastically helps when it comes to the um the bug the bug situations in the spring and summer you know i've been in the whites now uh three different summers up in the mountains um camping and it's been minimal. In fact, so minimal that I, I, I can't really think of a moment where I'm like, oh, man, those bugs were killing me. Whereas I can think of a multitude of moments back home camping with you um, down, down at the Buffalo where I wanted to die because I had a thousand sea ticks on me or I couldn't keep the mosquitoes away. And I don't really have recollection of that out here in all the various times that I've been camping. Well, Aaron, I've got one last thing for you, and I, I want to end with this. And and uh, we love the outdoors. We love talking about the outdoors and, and creation. And we've mentioned that you you work at church. You're a man of God. You are a Christ follower. Um, would you mind sharing with the listeners kind of what's your journey been with Christ? Whether whether you just want to sh- share your your testimony or just kind of some of your walk uh, with our Lord and Savior. Yeah. So to kind of summarize a whole life in a you know in two minutes. Um, yeah, I was, 
I was very fortunate to be raised in a home with um, two parents who loved the Lord. My dad's now with Jesus um, and excited to see him again someday. But I was very fortunate. And I think it took me into probably my 30s before I realized the impact that that had on me and how that foundation that was laid, how crucial that was. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I was at, um, I went to a private school my senior year and we had a chapel and um, I'll never forget it. I felt in that moment, I felt like God was calling me to ministry, but whatever that looked like, I couldn't tell you. And some days now I still can't, but um, that was placed upon my heart at that time. So I went and did what I thought I needed to, which was go to Bible school. And that was, you know, a long six, seven year journey for me, but I did eventually complete that. Um, met my wife, started a family, and then for a number of years, just kind of, I don't want to say floundered, but um, just was trying to figure out what God had for me. I was working um, a job and a lot of different jobs that really had nothing to do with ministry per se, but I always knew that that was there. And then um, I was having just a random conversation one day with uh, our, our, our friend uh, Stephen, who's now the senior pastor of the church that I work at, and he, he provided an opportunity. He said, Hey, would you, would you want to come to Massachusetts and be a part of what, what we're doing out here? And I said, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, as tip, typical Krista, I called her, I called her that day. I'll never forget it. And before I could even get the sentence out, she's like, I think we need to do that. And I'm like, well, hold on. Like, you know, you're looking at a new job here. That could be fantastic. Like, like, let, 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 let's, you know, let this pan out. And she's like, that's fine. But I think this is what we need to do. So sure enough. Um, God worked, God orchestrated our steps. Um, one of those was, um, you know, being able to sell what we thought was going to be the house we were building for our children to, um, a friend, uh, you on the podcast. Um, and, and I've been so thankful for that. And it sounds silly, but you know, we poured a lot of ourselves into that house and while we made mistakes and would do things differently now in some ways, um, we were thankful that that went to somebody who we knew, um, because we really loved that house. And again, we thought we were building something we were going to be in for 40 years, but God had other plans. I don't think we were there. I think we were there less time than it took us to build it actually. Um, so God had other plans, but he brought us out here and, you know, in this season out here, we've been here four years now and we've been away from family, 1200 miles from really all family. Um, it's taught us to really, we have grown as a family in these four years, in ways I don't know if we could have had we been back home. Um, and that's not to say that you can't when you're around family because there's a lot of positives to being near family. But this season has been beneficial for Krista and I and for the girls and I. Um, we've grown a lot. Um, and then again, too, I'm so thankful that, you know, I get to work in an environment where my girls spend a lot of their time at the church, just being around Christ, being around Christ followers, getting fed by other people. Um, and it's been a really, really awesome journey. And so to end with that, I would just say, if God, if, if you feel like God's calling you to do something and it sounds weird or scary, man, you don't know the journey that he wants to take you on. I think about with you guys so often and meant to be and how in some ways, it's maybe not panned out how you thought it would. And in other ways, I think it's panning out better than you thought it would. And I think you're really just at the beginning. And and all that's because you stepped out because you felt like God called you to do that. And he will honor that. And how he honors that, we don't know. Um, but I know that he will and is going to. And I think that that should just be a word of encouragement for anybody is trust God. He will direct your steps. And 
I think all of our journeys in some ways are just starting. And, and, and I tell people this all the time. We have work to do today until the Lord should come back. And we pray for that. I know I pray for that every day. Um, but until he does, we're going to continue to um, preach the gospel and try to get some outdoors activity in as well. Well, I can't summarize it much better than that. The one thing I would add is uh, if you're not a Christ follower, um, maybe maybe that step of that Aaron is encouraging of if, if the Lord is asking you or calling you to do something, then, then to do it. Uh, maybe that is just to consider a relationship with him. Um, it, it will change your life. It's not going to fill up your bank account. It's not going to put you in a bigger house or a better car, but it will change your life. It will save your life because your life will never end when you leave this earth or he comes back, you'll get to go be with him forever. So maybe today somebody just needs to consider that relationship or, or maybe rededicating your relationship uh, with him and, and to him and, and just giving him that promise of uh, you are mine and I am yours and, and, and do with me as, as you please. And uh, I know it's changed my life. It's changed Aaron's life. It's changed Ben's life. And, and we'll continue to share it as, as long as we have his, his breath in our lungs. So I hope that everyone listening today uh, feels encouraged to spend some time outdoors, maybe consider a vacation to New England, maybe consider a relationship with Jesus Christ, maybe just consider uh, deepening that relationship by spending some time in creation. Aaron, Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you so much for working through the technical difficulties before. Uh, I think several months ago, we tried having you on the podcast and we weren't able to pull off the long distance thing. Uh, so thankful that you, you've showed the patience and the grace to do this with us today and, and hope to have you back on sometime. Thanks so much, guys. Love you and um, have a great day. That is going to be it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. Don't forget to follow along on the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast Q&A group page on Facebook, as well as TikTok, Instagram, and our normal Facebook page. If you'll leave us a review on whatever platform you listen, that helps us out greatly to move up the charts so that other people can find our podcast. We greatly appreciate that. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. We hope that you find time between now and that time to get outdoors. And as always, remember, you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.